I'm David Clough. And I'm Steve Schmidt. And this is Battleground, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. In a few minutes, we're going to talk to Bill Hires, a Democratic strategist I've worked with closely who knows Pennsylvania inside and out. We're also going to talk to him about Texas, where he's doing a lot of work. But first, Steve, let's talk about the last week, I guess, starting with the shit show that was Donald Trump's NBC town hall. Well, that was that was quite a town hall we saw with Savannah Guthrie. And one of the rules of this, David, is, you know, you generally don't want to put your candidate in the room with someone who's got 150 IQ points on them. (laughs) (laughs) But you're like, wow, I mean, this guy is really, really lost it. And man, he he looked terrible. Yeah, he really did. Right. Just the small skin, skin skin color his just wow terrible and even when he's saying the craziest shit possible he's always looked strong right he's yes. all i think he enjoys politics but that looked like a defeated president on that stage yeah, absolutely now we see the ratings were not good but let's talk about the parade of horribles so one you know he continues to send incredibly mixed messages about the masks saying that 85 percent of the people wear it get it secondly he refuses to denounce QAnon. At some point he's going to have to you could see how physically uncomfortable he got talking about his taxes. You know, his pace of talking quickened. He kept repeating himself. He basically confessed that he owes foreign governments hundreds of millions of dollars, a disaster. And here's the question I have, Steve, like he's counting on historic turnout. Performances like that for someone who's a, a sporadic voter, uh, they're cynical about politics to begin with, and they see that. Like, are they going to bust their ass to turn out for this guy? So I think he's hurting his turnout as well. It's just inconceivable to me that any rational person could look at that guy and walk away saying, hey, I want to invest him with more power, right, for four more years. Yeah. Did you see Chris Christie's statement? We should talk about that for a minute. Look, I think that it's not coincidental that Chris Christie said what he said after Trump's performance. It almost reads like an endorsement of Joe Biden when he talks about the danger that people in the country face. And, you know, he might have had his come to Jesus moment, literally sitting in the intensive care unit um, in a hospital looking death in the face. You know, obviously, the governor's got some comorbidities there that would make him a, a vulnerable patient. I'm happy he's well. But boy, did he lay into Trumpism, if not directly by name, certainly implied in in a statement that I I thought was incredible. And I think people will notice that. I guess he's probably not going to be part of debate camp anymore, right? I mean, I don't, he he seems like uh, maybe at the 11th hour, I mean, you guys at the Lincoln Project have been making this point. It's still not too late to kind of follow your conscience, right? It's getting late. The hour is is near where, you know, post-election professions aren't going to mean anything. No, you have to. cowardly. You got to do it now. All you had to do is be in the resistance by midnight on June 5th. That's the cutoff. So what's going to happen in the debate next Thursday? We know Biden. Biden will be traditional. He'll be prepared. He'll have a strategy. But what do you think the Trump approach is going to be in that debate? You know, it's dogs do what they do, right? You know, and Trump does what he does. He's not coachable, knows everything. He's completely delusional. He's going to get up there and we'll see maybe a performance that's a bit more restrained than the first one. But it's going to hurt him. That's what's weird. Like he needs the audience. He's probably going to hurt his candidacy even more. But it's the only thing between now and the election day that gives him any chance to change the numbers at all. We have a guy who couldn't navigate his way through a question about whether Barack Obama 
had SEAL Team 6 assassinated and whether you know, Bin Laden's still alive, right? It's just total, and it's total insanity. And Trump's premise is he did a good job. Right. Like he's, knocked out, he's knocked it out for the last four years. I give him some marks for the space program, right? So I give him a one fifteen, you know, football coach. Like talk about what a great job he did. Well, yeah. it's just a, it's a disaster. You know, back in 08, we were kind of the first internet first presidential campaign. I mean, Howard Dean certainly laid some good tracks for us. And it was such a gift to be able to raise that kind of money online because most people who give mm-hmm. are also willing to volunteer. You obviously were up against that. You saw the power of it. Yeah, but yeah. right now, I mean, Biden can make sure that they are doing everything they need to do to win every battleground state. Plus, my hope is they, you know, begin to spend more extravagantly in places like Texas and Georgia. Like I'd think about running that Trump town hall as a 60 minute ad the last week of the campaign. Just run it. Say, here he is. Absolutely. And listen, money in presidential politics is not as important as it is in a state rep race, but it still matters, particularly when races are close. And I still haven't gotten a good answer to what happened to all the money. I mean, Biden is blowing it out in a way we've never seen in global politics, okay? Uh, And he and his team deserve a lot of credit for that. But on the other side, the Trump campaign, they're basically waving the white flags in a bunch of states and markets. And so it does have the stench of death around it. Like, I'm still scarred by 16. I think a lot of us are. You and I have been through a lot of races where you still get surprised. Hell, the New Hampshire primary in 2008. Okay, our internal tracking poll had us up eight over Clinton. I think the public poll average was 12 and we fucking lost by three. Okay, so I see with my head where the race is, but I just can't believe how well it's going, quite frankly. And, you know, it is hard uh, to run through the tape in these things, but it's easier when you have the money to do whatever you want to do in every state. And that's the other thing that's happening. Trump needs to pull off a miracle. He's got to have the best debate performance in American political history, and he'll probably have one of the worst. And his campaign has to be running on every, every cylinder possible and doing just creative, imaginative, well-resourced things. And they can't do that. So that's the other thing here. you got early vote coming off the table. You've got just an absolute shit show of a candidate. And the campaign's not much better. Yeah, uh, no, no question. From that Monday when we found out about the fact that he paid $750 in taxes, from that moment forward, it's just been a death spiral. Was always Steve and I could just keep on talking for hours. We're going to bring in our amazing guest, Bill Hires. He's a Democratic strategist, currently a partner of the Wind Company. And Bill's worked all over the country. He uh, has run successful mayor's races in New York and Pennsylvania. He ran Kirsten Gillibrand's first race for Congress in, in 2006 when she ran in a really tough district. He was our state director for Barack Obama in Pennsylvania in 12, and also ran Michael Nutter's mayor's race in that state. So he knows Pennsylvania inside out, and he's working on the state house and state senate races in Pennsylvania. So he's seeing numbers in the presidential race at a super granular local level. And he and his firm are also doing a bunch of work in Texas. So we're going to get a bird's eye view of what he's seeing in terms of the numbers uh, and some of the trends in Pennsylvania and Texas. So, Bill Hires, welcome to Battleground. Great. Thanks for having me. Good to have you, Bill. Great to be here. So four years ago, were you worried now? Were you seeing movement in Pennsylvania? Did you have anxiety about what was going on in the state? I always had anxiety about Pennsylvania. I believe that Hillary could win because of the suburbs, which ultimately were her downfall, honestly. I think she just not, did not get the margins. She got the margins out of Philadelphia. She did a lot worse in the rural areas than I think you can, right? I don't think Biden can get 28, 30% vote in some of these places that she got. But it was really, we thought that suburbs would save her, and they just did not at the end of the day. There's been a huge growth 
in Pennsylvania. So talk about that. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the Lehigh Valley, which used to be a you know bit of a conservative bastion back in the day, is now home to a huge Latino population. And it's mainly Puerto Rican. People usually message that wrong and are like, immigration issues. And they're like, well, we're Puerto Rican, we're American citizens. Right. They're also easier to register and get to vote just because you know they're American citizens from birth and then they moved here. And if you look at along the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, kind of Lehigh Valley, like a lot of them actually work in Jersey and they live in Pennsylvania. So you're watching a huge Latino population growth going up in some of the rural areas. Reading has a huge Latino population, mainly Puerto Rican, and then the Philly suburbs. Uh, you know, you, you see some growth in Philly, but it's mainly switching out. And really what you're saying is you're switching out of like your kind of old, rocky Italian white folks for urban, younger, millennial type of new families. Into the city, and then, right. Yeah, right. in the city itself. And then the suburbs, you're just really seeing, I mean, Delaware County has had... 30% growth in the last eight, 10 years. I mean, you're really just seeing massive growth in the suburban, exurban areas where there's room to grow. Uh, places like Bucks County haven't grown that much. They've essentially stayed the same, but you're looking at Chester, Delaware, some of those areas just boom in population. Chester, a county that we didn't win for forever and we're winning now. And, you know, it used to be that the Philadelphia media market was 36, 37, just a few points above Pittsburgh media market in terms of size of the electorate. Now, Philadelphia is 42% and, and Pittsburgh is 24%. Pittsburgh's actually st- stayed pretty relevant. It's just a matter of Philadelphia's grown so much and other places have started to shrink a little bit. I think you're just as much seeing growth being stagnant in areas while there's massive amount of growth. And really, in the suburban Philadelphia is where almost all the growth is happening. The tale of what happened in 16, a lot happened, but mm. it was really Trump ran up numbers outside of Pittsburgh and, and actually yeah. did pretty well in the suburbs there. It wasn't just the exurban areas. Yeah. So tell us what you're seeing right now in Western Pennsylvania. Western Pennsylvania is still tough. We're doing a little bit better in places like Westmoreland County. I do think Allegheny County has always been good for us. I think it'll get a little bit better. You're not seeing the turnout and the motivation like you saw before, but places like Mercer and some of those areas, he's... Uh, Trump is still going to do very well. I don't think RP is persuading a lot of those voters. It's, you know, trying to get our numbers out of Allegheny County and, and just trying to get a draw in a couple of these counties that are outside of there. We've had some success there with right type of candidates. I mean, w- what we're lucky as a Dem uh, with is Biden's still considered like a friend. You know, even when you talk about a lot of white Catholics out there, there was a lot of love for him. Uh, with the, white the third senator, yeah, right? and the That's third senator, you know, between Scranton, the eastern part, he traveled there enough. It was kind of like always the surrogate stop. I got Obama there a couple times, but it was kind of always we could always catch a Biden swing through there in both eight, twelve, and and the Ford. So he's a regular person out there, and I think the white Catholics identify with him a little bit better than they identified with the other past nominees. You know, there's some crazy ass polls out there showing Biden up in Pennsylvania 14. So I want to press you and you're seeing a lot of data. Yeah. Is there a black swan set of things that could still happen to allow Trump to win? Um, No, I don't. I think there's one sea change of Pennsylvania that we haven't talked about, honestly, is introduction of early voting. Pennsylvania was the last major swing state that was all election. You had literally half of 1% of the vote voted early. So many people are voting right now in Philadelphia proper in the suburbs. You know, you can't unring a bell. And it's going to become harder every day that goes by for him to unring that bell. 
I do think, look, I think if they have historic turnout in rural areas uh, and he does something to flip the suburbs, sure. But right now there's enough votes. I mean, there's always, you always get about 475,000 or so votes out of 450, 475 out of Philadelphia. I don't think that's going to change. You get 125,000 extra votes out of Allegheny County. I don't think that's going to change. So we start looking at pockets where things can change. You know, the Scranton, Harrisburg, uh, York, uh, maybe a little bit of the Lehigh Valley areas could really trend against us if something happens major. But, you know, they're voting in such large numbers now. It's it's unlike past years where, you know, it was so fluid because you never knew what was going to happen. You know, last week in 2012, uh, John McCain did 14,000 points of television in one week to try to flip this for the state because it was the last one that was kind of doing that. So normally one ad you run for a thousand points. So they were basically running, you know, seven to 14 times what you normally see in a campaign to make a last push in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Now things are baked in a real way. Trump's approach to the suburbs is basically it's like 1950s. It's all white. You know, they're politically conservative. The guy just doesn't get it. He is so divorced from the reality of the suburbs. It like blows my mind. Well, and what's even more is because, you know, Pennsylvania suburbs are probably the most important suburbs in America when it comes to presidential election. He hasn't done the simple math to know Cory Booker's from the neighboring state. Cory Booker's coming from your suburbs and they share a media market. The guy (laughs) spent $20 million advertising in Philadelphia over the years. He's there all the time. He's a neighboring senator that we see all the time. He's so likable. You, I, we looked at his numbers. I've looked at his numbers like 10 times. They're great. I mean, he's not the most well-known person, but he sure is not a villain. Cory Booker is going to come invade you. And you're like, oh, the nice gentleman who's dating the very <laughs> over there? Oh, great. I'd love to have him in the suburbs. Um, That's such so, a great point know, like, about the Jersey. You know, they know and like him. I, I bet, yeah. yeah. Like, New, so, New Jersey is obviously <laughs> one of the most expensive states in America because you have the New York and Philadelphia media market. The New Jersey politicians play a massive influence in Philadelphia and vice versa. When I'm sitting there, I'm watching commercials for Andy Kim and like everybody else. So like, it's a very uh, understood media market. Cory Booker is not a stranger to the Philadelphia suburb. It's tone deaf at, at a high level. Stick around. We'll be right back with Bill Hires. We're back with the Pennsylvania whisperer, Bill Hires. So we have huge numbers of people voting by mail, which is awesome. But Pennsylvania has this additional required of a secrecy envelope, right? So you have your ballot, you've got your return envelope, but you have to put the ballot in the secrecy envelope. I think it's called by a lot of people a naked ballot. So I know there's a lot of educational efforts going on, but how concerned are you about that? And like, what are we talking about? Like, could we lose four to five percent of, let's say, Biden vote and Democratic vote because people are making mistakes. How do you assess that? Um, it's not great. Um, Why was uh, it designed not, that way, by the way? It makes no sense to me. Because they're new. Right. I, I really do think because it's new, I think they'll have to try to fix it last time. I do think it'll hurt. When they passed voting ID in 12, they were really counting on getting a lot of votes there. What they forgot was that the Amish don't have IDs. And so they declared they made this vote by mail. Then they really started doing the math, which I had done. I was like, okay, guys, you know, it's not great. Less people are going to be able to vote. But of the 100,000 people with not IDs, you know, it's 55, 45. So we're going to lose 10,000 votes. We got to go find 10,000 more votes. And that was kind of my attitude of this. Okay, we're going to lose 10,000 votes. Let's go find them. Do I think it'll cost us 10,000 votes? Absolutely. As Dems, I think it'll absolutely cost us 10,000 votes. When there are 7 million votes, 
you know, it's probably not the end of the world. It's not great. They need to fix this. But I also will say every third ad was a voter education ad from either Biden or somebody else or somebody else. Uh, it is if you're going to do it, it is going to get beat in your head, whether you like it or not. And there's also mail pieces everywhere. It is a concerted effort. We are going to lose some votes. I don't think it'll be enough to do it, but they've got people who've been thinking about this for a while and trying to figure this out. I think they're doing a ton of efforts. It is going to cost some votes. Uh, it's not good, but I don't think it'll cost us the state. So we all grew up culturally right in the same part of the country. Talk about the Republican Party in the state. When you're looking at the state legislative races, what percentage of candidates are just batshit completely crazy? You know, and I say that from the sense of this was Arlen Specter state. This is a Tom, Tom Ridge, Ridge state. Yeah, right? 100%. 100%. This is a moderate Republican. Yeah, Arlen you know, Specter came out of Philadelphia. He, yeah, was the DA. Sure. he was a Philadelphia DA. His protege was Ed Rendell. <laughs> like Absolutely. this was a uh, Ed Rendell worked for Arlen Specter. People forget that, but he did. And that's, I think, the reason why they're having such hard time in the suburbs. You look at the Wagner race against Wolf. I mean, the economy was okay. But there was lots of issues there. And Wolf waltzed to reelection. A fairly good governor who had, wasn't able to get a ton done because of redistricting in the House and the state Senate. But it used to be that your white business suburban Republicans were willing to tolerate pro-life folks from the middle of the state or the, the, the super Christian conservatives. And they were like, okay, this is what we got to do to win. Uh, but what ended up happening is those guys just took over the party. And, you know, uh, Santorum really started this in a real way when he's comparing our LGBT to uh, bestiality, you know, all these things that really started pushing the, the, the candidates right. And now if you want to win the primary, you really have to go so far right that it, it now becomes, you know, your suburban Republicans can't win a statewide Republican primary. Instead of evolving and in, in changing, the Republican Party is going backwards, not forwards. They're not appealing to new folks coming on, the new people are going to suburbs and suburbanites in general. They're trying to appeal to base primary Republican voters, and those are just way off from where the rest of the state's at. You brought up Rick Santorum. It reminded me of my favorite political quote of the last 20 years, the great Bob Carey, senator from Nebraska, Medal of Honor recipient, who, who, said, who said, Rick Santorum, he said, Santorum, he goes, that's a Latin for asshole. <laughs> 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 We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more insights from Bill Hires. We're back with Democratic strategist Bill Hires. Biden's going to win Pennsylvania. Yeah, I don't think it's close. Okay. Honestly, I think I think six, to eight points is, I think, in the range. I mean, Trump's never remotely even tried to closing it. It just and look in the all these state house, state senate polls. Like he hasn't made a dent, even there's like, oh, he, he's, he's moving. And you're just seeing, you know, a little bit here and there. Most of these districts, he has not changed within two points from the start to now. You know, he's, he's gotten a little bit there, but all the, his soft voters essentially went away. And so it was as hard. It was like 32 with, you know, 6% soft versus 47. Whatever. I'd love to so. put some ads up in Philly that are just like, you know, in Philadelphia, we know losers when we see them, right? Right? You know, just like call them a loser and just have like people booing. Just antagonize them. Yeah. Listen, 
Biden has to be Biden, but my oh, yeah. hope that the next debate is not just holding serve. Like I think you go in for the kill even more on this guy. And you know, some of that's just being Biden and being optimistic and being who you are. But you know, punishing this guy. Oh yeah. Okay, Bill. So you think Biden's up six to eight? Maybe it closes a little bit, but you know, uh, what is the ceiling? Like if the bottom completely fell out for Trump doesn't get the historic turnout he's looking for. Uh, the few remaining undecideds mostly go Biden. Are we talking, could Biden win this race by 10 points or do you think the ceiling is uh, eight? Yeah, he could. I mean, uh, you know, Wolf B. Wagner, 58, 41, 42. It's obviously not as parallel, but if you look at the way that things are outspending uh, in the views, I think, you know, 10 points, 55, 45 is, is a very real possibility. I think, to be honest, I think that's much more likely than Trump winning the state right now. Uh, that being said, <laughs> like you hold your breath every day and fight right. like hell. But uh, and one thing I know about, you know, Brendan McPhillips, the state director and General Malley Dillon, they're not people who uh, rest on their laurels lightly. Right. But I think that's entirely possible. This state that's trending the right ways and Trump is making the bad plays. And what people keep on forgetting is Biden's from 10 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Wilmington, Delaware, all right there. And so uh, you're talking about a known entity, a known disliked entity, and voter enthusiasm with an absentee program that has never been had before. I think all those things spell a lot of trouble for Trump. You are also managing a lot of the work in Texas for the Texas State House. And you told me a couple things that, you know, in my wildest dreams, I didn't think would be possible even six months ago. One, you think Democrats are likely to pick up this Texas state house. So Bill, right now, based on what you're seeing in the early vote numbers in polling at the state house level, you think Biden's going to win Texas? I absolutely do. Now, my partner Rick Fromberg, Rania Beatrice, they're the ones on the ground in Texas. I was down there like uh, probably uh, for a week a month ago. We have great races like Mike Siegel and Julie Oliver. We have a lot of these good races, but you just look at the numbers, you look at the energy, you look at the early vote numbers. And a couple things need to happen in Texas is it needs to be close. And then they need to restructure the electorate. And I think both things are happening. I think the suburban numbers in Texas are insane towards Biden. We're basing a lot of our stuff on the 20 years of Bushes. They obviously had a deal in Texas and they had those, you know, kind of some of those energy voters in the Houston suburbs. And I think your suburbanites are smart and are going away from him in Texas in a real way. I mean, you know, congressional districts were losing by 15 we're now ahead or winning. And these state house districts that we couldn't compete in, we're now winning and comfortable. We were winning districts we lost by 15 points, we're winning by 10. You know, you're just seeing these massive, massive swings and they're dumping money on there. And it's, you know, it's not going to not work at least a little bit, but it's not really doing that much damage. Everything is driven so much by the top of the ticket. And then the turnout numbers, you know, Harris County is averaging over 115,000 people voting a day. And as you guys know, Democratic precincts specifically, the worry is not always, will people stay in lines? Will they get in line in the first place? And so if you see a two and a half hour line that wraps around the building five times on election day, you're like, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, what we've seen in past years, especially 08 North Carolina, you're seeing a lot of new voters too. But even if half of them switch, Switch from election day voters to early voters. To to early voters. That just makes it easier for everybody else to vote. And just getting everybody processed in some of these districts is half the battle. And just watching it, sheer numbers and the registration numbers. I don't know if you guys saw, was it Travis County where 97% of the people were registered? That means 
voting age population, 97% of them are registered. And if they turn out those kind of numbers, the pockets of population in Texas have grown so large, they're now getting to the point where they can overwhelm. What was really interesting to me is Cornyn's ads. If you took off who he was, he'd be running a dem ad. It's pre-existing conditions. It's always that. And it's always like, you know, go the old quote of, if you give me a choice between a Republican and a Republican, I'll choose a, you know, they'll choose a Republican. Same with that as Cornyn's running as a Dem. That means the voters are where we're at. And I was checking to see if it was just the Austin media market. No, he's running these ads statewide. So, you know, with those message fields and everything else, the electorate is not where the Republicans want them to be. Could he go down? I think he could. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think, you know, I think he's tougher um, to go down. But, you know, Republicans just spent so much time ignoring the state because they're like, I'm safe. And I'm good. And I don't think he really understood it and the amount of money she's raising and what she's picking up. Just as Preston Elliott, which is one of the better campaign managers uh, I've ever known in my career. And so she's done most everything right. And uh, she's a good candidate, right time. If you, you just take what Beto did last time and then you look at the surge of new voters, just the amount of new voters right, that has already voted as of right now is bigger than the margin Beto got beat by. So... If you, you know, every, all things even now, it's not because Ted Cruz is, was not particularly like Beto was doing a movement campaign. So, you know, if we're picking up what we can pick up, you know, he can survive, but it's going to be tough. And right now, if I was a betting man, I'd put some money on MJ Hager. But Trump will underperform Cornyn, right? I think probably. Right, right. So Cornyn could do a point or two better than Trump, right? Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. He can moderate himself a little bit more than Trump. Trump can't redefine what he's done on COVID. But if you see Cornyn's ads, uh, I've been fighting for businesses. And so you can tell he's he's trying to shave off. He, he's trying to mitigate some damage in the urban areas that are just going so, I mean, the suburban areas too, they're just going so far bananas. But you know, there's so many voters. It's like Florida. You can always, if you can find the voters, like Dems could always win Florida if we just got everybody to vote. But this is the year, and it's Texas the same way, but we haven't tried nearly as hard because we haven't been that close. And pulling more people in uh, luckily, Trump's helping us with that quite a bit. He's a, he's a big motivating factor. He's, it's, no long, it's not like 16 where he was a theory. It's a fact. I'm with you on this. I think Texas can go and is, is trending to Biden. We're looking at it from the perspective of that South Texas, that herd district, the 23, where Trump is overperforming uh, with Hispanic males and I think that there's some stuff you can do in that area to bring that number down, but it's really close. And I've been saying for a week or so, I think like Texas might be the state that, you know, Biden comes up short by a couple thousand votes, right? That it's just, it's incredibly close. And everyone's going to be sitting there the week after election day going, God, why all the money? Why wasn't, you know, why wasn't the investment made? And, and Biden is sitting on so much cash right now. Yeah. Are they, are they starting to plug it into Texas and starting to go for it? I mean, I definitely, I would always love to see more as me having yelled at you before when I was trying to get more from Minnesota or wherever state when I was Midwest director in 08. But right now there's so much money going along there. I really wish he would have made an investment or somebody would have been made an investment two months ago just to get some extra persuasion before people did their early ballots in. I do think, you know, Hispanics have been interesting. It's also as you guys know, one of the hardest groups to do research on. So anytime I see massive swings in research on Latino males, I'm always get suspicious because I've seen 30 point swings in tracking polls. And it's just a matter of 
are you getting Spanish speakers? Are you getting English speakers? Are you getting 18 to 24 years to live at home versus out? Those things always kind of make a huge difference. Maybe he's doing a couple points better, but not that much better than you would think. And that's so much offset by young white voters coming out in massive droves. I think the young, younger voters are going to vote more than they did in 08. I think that's the one population that you're probably going to get that. Maybe not with African-American voters, uh, you know, voters under 24. I definitely think that that's... And that's yeah. showing up in the early vote returns. Yeah, you're saying, 100%. Yeah. And just the lines and these, you know, everything you're seeing in these areas. And it reminds me of 08 where you would see people are like, you know, I'm just, this is my day. I'm going to spend my day in an early vote line and that's fine. And uh, you're seeing that level of energy and commitment, not just on day one, but day two, day three, day four, uh, day five. And you're just looking at the massive amount of returns of the ballots. I think that's the biggest strategic mistake that Trump really did. What he did is he scared the hell out of Dems. So they send in their ballots first thing, which is great. As you know, having had to chase ballots in the last four days of an election, like a madman. Right. Watching the, these huge numbers go in early. Um, it's such a fundamental difference. The so, other thing Trump did, of course, is more of his people, because, um, you know, you're talking about Pennsylvania, you're talking about Texas, uh, almost every state outside of Nevada, you still have to apply for a ballot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of his people aren't. And now COVID cases are on the rise. And so I think there's a chance, I don't want to overstate it, but there's yeah, maybe one to 2% of his people who are like, the guy may not win. And, you know, there's COVID everywhere in my community. I'm actually not going to vote. Yeah. I mean, look at Northeast Wisconsin. It is the hotbed of America, and he has to win big there, big there, and he can't even go there right now. I mean, it's it's a mess. David and I have been talking about this every week, but I just think it's unraveling. I think I think the walls are coming in, and I mean, it's inconceivable to me. And I and I have a generally dim view of human nature. Um, it's my <laughs> it's my vestigial so small C conservatism. But I, I I mean, who's the person in America who's like, yeah, I. Four more years, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, done. I, yeah, I mean, between his first debate performance and him getting COVID, you just saw these just massive just fall-offs. Yeah. In the suburbs, Bill, in both Pennsylvania and Texas, is that where you're both seeing Pennsylvania it? Pennsylvania and Texas. I mean, his ratings on his on the the town hall last night, only 10 million voters. People are just like, they you know what, I don't want to hear this fucking it's guy. It's over. You know, he's Jimmy Carter with a, you know, dose of racism. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, they tuned <laughs> Carter out. They've tuned Trump out. Yeah. He's uh blustering, bloviating, fucking moron of the <laughs> highest conceivable level, right? And just, and, and look, you know, 30% of the country is has always been crazy. Which, when I've started looking, especially after 16, you know, I did this one 16, I'm a little bit 12, it was like, and you probably heard this, me recurring on this, of like, voters are more similar in different places. Like, you know, it, when I ran the New York City mayor's race, I used the Philly mayor's race, and everybody's telling me about Ed Koch in 1978, but I'm like, look, your urban voters are similar. Like they are. New York, Chicago, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, they're a similar voter. Suburban voters are similar. And it's always what confused me about Hillary's campaign of like, oh, no, we're good in Wisconsin and Michigan, but we're going to get crushed in Ohio and Iowa. Like they're the same people. You just drew some lines there, right. but that doesn't mean they're different people. And I think we, I think the voters are getting more similar the way they take information become similar. So your suburbanite in Texas is not much different from your suburbanite in even, you know, Westchester up here, you know, some of these other things. So you're starting to get these types of voters. And I just think there's a huge chunk of voters who are just like, you're right, 30% are crazy. The other percent who are like, you know, I don't like taxes, but, you know, and I'm a business guy, but whatever. I just think they're just like, you know what, Trump is hurting me. Like, you know, there's no, 
no benefit. I can't even say economy anymore. I'm just done. And I, I don't think they're listening. So I think we're hopefully to be in good shape. I mean, I'm like torn on Texas. And I think I'm just, I need to like forget the past and just embrace where we are. And then I'd probably That's say 100% we're, we're going to win a vote. Like, you know, you know I, I don't, <laughs> I'm totally, I have a conception of the country that's like, I'm very invested in emotionally, right? Like I, I believe something about the country. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong about something that's like really central to my point of view on the world. And I just don't think the people of this country are doing this for fucking four more years. <laughs> From your lips to God's ears. So I want to thank Bill Hires for joining us and sharing uh, his expertise and wisdom with us. Uh, Battleground is a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. If you like us, please give us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five points would be awesome. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Allie Rogers is our associate producer. Jess Williams did research for this episode. And Christian Castro-Rossell is our executive producer. 